A farmer uh, of oranges uh, was once taking his friend uh, for a tour of his orange grove. Uh, But before he did, he took him to uh, a different orange grove and uh, he showed the man how these oranges in this different orange grove were struggling in the drought they were experiencing. The leaves were starting to wither and the oranges were languishing um, in the heat and the lack of water. But then the man took his friend to his own orange grove and to the man's surprise he saw that these orange trees were flourishing uh, even despite the drought and uh, the friend asked why. What was the difference? And the owner of the orange grove explained that when uh, those trees were young he had Uh, deliberately deprived them of water and their roots had to reach down deeper to try and find the water that they had been deprived of. And so now in this time of drought, they have longer roots and stronger roots, uh, better equipped to survive in the heat. Now, I have no idea whether that's true and whether that actually works or not. Uh, Perhaps farmers here would be able to uh, tell me uh, otherwise or to agree. Uh, But the point is true uh, as it applies to human beings. Uh, Often it's in times of suffering and in times of lack that we build strength that will serve us well in times to come, like those orange trees. And sadly, uh, one of the great weaknesses of the society that we uh, live in today is that the emphasis is so much on escaping problems, escaping difficulty, escaping suffering, that we've lost the understanding that often building strength is a better response to suffering than simply trying to avoid it. Um, We live in the age of Amazon Prime, where you can get deliveries the next day. Uh, We can get food in an instant. Uh, Reminds me of a... um, sign, I remember someone saying they saw, and um, they were at a, I think it was a Ford, and there was a big barrier dropping down, and uh, the sign said, uh, barrier takes five seconds to rise, please be patient (laughs) for five seconds, that's the limit of our patience today. But the Bible makes very clear uh, that in many ways God is most concerned with increasing our strength more than freeing us from all inconvenience and suffering. Uh, Look at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 that we read earlier. Peter writes, Therefore, 
Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Peter's saying in these verses, it should not surprise a believer, someone who's trusting in Christ, when life is sometimes difficult, when suffering is sometimes severe. He's saying Christ had the same experience. And if we follow him, then we too will have that experience. And Peter says, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with this knowledge. Uh, he's not saying run. He's not saying don't worry, God will deliver you necessarily. He says arm yourselves with this knowledge. It is not a strange thing for believers to go through suffering. Uh, in fact, earlier in the uh, letter, in chapter 3, he gives us an illustration of this. Uh, he says this is what baptism pictures. Uh, the Bible clearly teaches that all believers should be baptized to follow Christ's example in baptism, however strange it may appear for us. The idea of being dunked in water and raised up again uh, seems odd, seems a strange ritual, but God commands it and baptism pictures that same reality we are baptized into death and suffering and loss, but we're raised to life. Uh, right now, in this life, we experience that death. We experience that suffering. We experience, uh, to some extent, that darkness. But one day, we'll be raised just as Christ was. Uh, Peter used a different illustration as well in that same passage of the ark. And Noah and his family were not exactly saved from the flood. They were saved through the flood. It's very interesting, actually, if you read the passage in Genesis. Uh, it describes how the, uh, that family, that eight, those eight people, had to endure the flood, but safely within the ark but no doubt that was still an uncomfortable experience for them as they could hear the water battering the wood uh, around them nevertheless they were safe and that's the picture we have as well we have to go through this life with all its turmoil with all its suffering with all its death nevertheless we are safe in the arms of christ he is our ark. He takes the brunt. He takes the wrath of God for us. Nevertheless, there is suffering to be endured. But one day, we will rise with him. That's what baptism pictures. And Peter says, do not set your hope in this world... There is a better one to come. And in this passage, in chapter 4, uh, he describes three ways in which we experience death and suffering in this world. But each time he encourages us to take heart, to endure, 
to arm ourselves with the knowledge that it will not be forever. Uh, The first form of suffering he mentions is that we have to endure self-denial. We mustn't live in the same way as so many others in this world uh, at the uh, beck and call of all our desires. No, Christ called us to a life of self-denial, not following the lusts of our flesh. And that's painful. It's difficult. That's the first form of suffering. Uh, But secondly, Paul says we also will endure persecution. People won't like the way we live. And so they will persecute us. But that's another form of suffering we must be ready to expect. But lastly, he speaks of death itself. Believers are not immune from death. All of us must pass through that river. All of us must go through that dark door one day. Uh, Believers are not protected from death. They're protected through death. What I'd like to do with the rest of our time now this morning is just look at those three areas and show show you where they are in this passage from 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 to 6 uh, so that we too might arm ourselves, prepare ourselves for what we must experience in this life. So let's look at that first uh, aspect of suffering, self-denial. Let me read chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 again. Uh, Peter says, Therefore, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Peter says, if we're a believer here this morning, we've spent enough of our life simply listening to the desires of our body. Uh, That's what lusts are. I think I shared a few weeks ago that uh, the definition of lust is like desire without a seatbelt. We all have desires, don't we? We all enjoy food. We all enjoy um, the pleasures that are in this world. And we're supposed to enjoy Many pleasures. God gives us many things to enjoy. But we're what to enjoy them in proportion, in moderation. Sadly, so many people are slaves to their desires. And they live for such things instead of living for God and enjoying such things as his gift. You notice that list of things which Peter mentions Uh, lewdness, that's indecency, Uh, living in a way which is inappropriate, dressing in a way that is inappropriate, Um, uh, living a life which is for your own personal satisfaction without any regard for God or for others. Um, Drunkenness. Uh, Again, the Bible does not condemn alcohol. Um, alcohol in many ways is commended as a gift from God but the Bible very clearly condemns drunkenness uh, losing control of yourself 
You see, God doesn't say you must not drink. He says drink in moderation. Drink sensibly. Drink in such a way that honours him, giving thanks to him for his gifts. Mentions revelries. This is partying. Uh, Again, living life without any inhibitions at all and going completely out of control, being a slave to whatever desire you feel. The problem that Peter is mentioning, and God through Peter is telling us here, isn't, it's not that God doesn't want us to have fun. What he's telling us is what the world thinks is fun is so often destructive. You will not enjoy life best if you give complete reign to your desires. That's human thinking. That's natural understanding. I have this feeling, I must express it. I have this feeling, I have this desire, I must fulfill it. But God says that sort of thinking will lead to destruction. What we must do is take that feeling, take that desire, run it through the filter of God's word and his will, and then we can enjoy life as it's meant to be lived. You don't enjoy life by giving over to your desires. You enjoy life by training your desires. That is where true happiness is. When we discipline ourselves and enjoy things as they are meant to be enjoyed. It may not be fun in the moment, but it reaps a great harvest later. And that is one of the biggest lies of our society today that our desires define who we are. You've probably heard this on the news, especially if you're at school um, or if you uh, just uh, watch the TV for any length of time. We're taught all the time that you must be authentic to yourself. Uh, What you feel, express it. Uh, If you uh, hinder a desire, you're not being true to yourself. That's nonsense. That's a lie. Uh, Is a child being inauthentic when they eat their greens, which their parent says they must eat if they want their dessert? Is that inauthentic? No, it's discipline. And that will reap a harvest later. Uh, That child will be healthier. That child ultimately will be happier if they learn that eating greens is important that it is a healthier way to live and it will bring greater happiness in the long run. Uh, Is an athlete being inauthentic when they get up early in the morning to go for that jog, to go for that run, so they may one day win that gold medal? Of course not. It's because they want something, because they have a deeper, higher aim, therefore they're willing to train their body and to govern their desires, however painful it might be. Do you see, don't give in to the lie that you must fulfill your every desire in order to be happy. No, you must train your desires. We must train our desires under God's will. And that is the best path. That is always the safest route. Uh, You'll know that the news, if you watch the news, um, is full of Philip Schofield at the moment. 
I'm going to date this sermon now, anyone listening in a few months or years' time. Uh, But it's full of how he uh, has been unfaithful to his wife. Uh, But it's strange, really, uh, because this shouldn't be news, because it happened months ago. Uh, Months ago, Philip Schofield came out as gay, as the world calls it. And he was unfaithful to his wife then, at that moment. But then he was praised. Then he was uh, uh, given huge um, praise for uh, being authentic and true to himself. And yet, in that very act, he betrayed his wife. But now, a few months later, uh, now the situation is uh, slightly different. He's vilified. And yet the sin remains the same. And yet it's viewed so differently because our world looks at these things through the wrong lens. God says we should be faithful to our spouse if we have one, regardless of our feelings, regardless of our attractions, regardless of our desires. It is more pleasing to God to stay true to someone you have made vows to than to simply fulfill a desire you might have at whatever cost. Do not give in to the lie of our society. Instead, listen to what God says through Peter, that we should no longer live the rest of our lives in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That will be painful. It will hurt sometimes. It will be a struggle. But afterwards... It reaps a harvest of righteousness. And that's the first form of suffering that Peter says we must expect. The suffering that comes from disciplining our desires and seeking to obey God rather than ourselves. Then he moves on. Uh, He moves on to a second form of suffering. And you can read this in verses 4 and 5. Uh, He speaks of how we should no longer live in partying and drunkenness and lewdness like we used to live. And in verse 4 he says, In regard to these, they, that's unbelievers, think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Uh, Peter says, As we go against the stream of this world... Uh, as we don't live according to, merely according to our desires, we will find ourselves butting heads with people along the route, uh, like a fish running upstream when everyone else is going, running, swimming, upstream when all the other fish are going downstream. Uh, you're going to meet with opposition and people will laugh at you. People will say you're going the wrong way. People will hate you, perhaps, because you're exposing their own behavior. You're going the right way, they're going the wrong way. And it's worth pointing out here that the kind of persecution Peter mentions here isn't the persecution which would come later, where Nero would cover Christians in tar and set them alight to light his gardens of his palace, uh, or when uh, Christians were fed to the lions in the amphitheater. That persecution was yet to come. That wasn't happening just yet. The kind of persecution 
Peter is talking about here is uh, the kind of experience, um, persecution we might experience. Uh, the strange look from someone as they look at you, kind of like, you're a bit odd. Uh, the feeling of not fitting in, uh, not being a part of the cool crowd, uh, the uh, non-acceptance from others or the misunderstanding of others when we choose not to do things that they want to do and they don't understand why. We all know, I'm sure, if we're a believer, this, these feelings. And Peter refers to it here in verse 4. He says, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. Therefore, we have to endure suffering to a greater or lesser degree. In some countries of the world, it's far worse. Uh, they have to endure the actual loss of property, perhaps even of their own lives. Here, it's much like it was for the people of Peter's day. We have to endure people's misunderstanding. We have to endure people's um, censure and they're perhaps despising of us to some extent. But Peter says, don't worry about that. That's normal. That's to be expected. And he goes on in verse 5 to remind us that we will all one day, they included, will all one day have to stand before God in judgment. And trust me, it's much better to feel awkward now before men or women than it is to feel awkward then before God. Peter says, remind yourself of this. Arm yourselves with this knowledge. No matter how difficult life might be now, far better to endure that and be innocent standing before God on Judgment Day than vice versa. That's the problem, isn't it? So often we want ease and contentment and um, the smile of others now that we forget about the frown and the displeasure of God then. Uh, what does Peter say in verse 5? He says, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Death is no escape from God. It's merely the route to him. So don't fret about people's persecution. Uh, it'll be difficult now, but it'll be far more difficult for them later. Reminds me of, is it Psalm? It's Psalm 73, I should have looked it up. Uh, Asaph wrote a famous psalm how he said he almost slipped. Uh, his feet had nearly slipped because he looked around and he saw the wicked, the people who didn't regard God, those who didn't trust in him, and they were living prosperous lives. Their life was easy. Uh, their burden was light. And he said, look, I'm suffering. I'm in pain. I'm in difficulty as I try to follow God. And yet those who reject God are living easy lives, contented, it seems, lives. Why is my life so difficult and their life so easy. But then he says, I went to the temple of God and then I remembered their end. He looked further forward. 
In the present, it didn't make any sense. In the present, it all seemed upside down. But then he remembered the end. He remembered what it would be like on Judgment Day. And he realized he would much much rather be in his shoes, his forgiven shoes, than in their unforgiven ones. Arm yourself with this knowledge. Better to endure hardship now than to endure God's frown then. That's the second form of suffering, Peter says. We need to arm ourselves against the suffering of persecution. So we've seen there's suffering in the fact that we must deny ourselves as we follow Christ. We've seen that there's suffering as we receive persecution as we follow Christ. But thirdly and lastly, Peter says we must be prepared for death itself. Now look at verse 6. Strange verse, but hopefully we'll explain what it means. Verse 6, Peter says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now some people stumble over that verse, verse 6, and say, what does that mean that the gospel was preached to those who are dead? And it doesn't mean that the gospel was preached to dead people. That makes no sense at all. They can't hear because they're dead. (laughs) It's not what this verse is saying. What it's saying is the gospel was preached to those who are now dead. Because this was the problem, and this seemed to be a problem in many churches uh, at this time when Peter was writing. And we know that because Paul refers to this problem because in Thessalonica there were many believers who were following Christ and diligently seeking to serve him but some of their friends and family their believing friends and family had died and this troubled them they thought but 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 we've come to Christ we're trusting in him but look we've got these family members who have died we thought Christ conquered death We thought he had brought us salvation, but look, they're dead. What's gone wrong? And Paul and Peter here uh, makes clear that trusting in Christ doesn't save you from physical death. We must go through death just like everyone else. What the gospel does is save us through Just like Christ died and rose again, we must die and rise again. We should not be surprised when people die, when believers die. Death is a door we must all pass through one day. And Peter is saying in these verses, don't worry, don't fret. It is all part of God's plan don't fret about it now of course uh, this isn't to say that God doesn't sometimes save us from such suffering Uh, sometimes he does deliver us from death Uh, sometimes he does deliver us from sickness but Peter's point is that he won't always do that He may do it for a time, but there will be a disease one day that gets you. Sorry to break that to you, but that is the truth. 
death will come to us in the end, no matter how many mercies God pours upon us before that. And Peter is preparing us for that knowledge. He's saying there will be a sickness you will not recover from. There will be a disease that will uh, end your life. Death is coming to you. For some of us, it's going to come earlier than others. But the gospel is still powerful. Christ is still powerful because he's able to raise the dead. As Christ himself put it, anyone who believes in me, though they die, yet they shall live. And that's a really important truth to arm ourselves with. Don't set your heart on a pain-free, trouble-free, suffering-free life. Because if you do, the irony is your life will be even more miserable. Because every pain you experience, every sickness you endure will be multiplied because you'll be wondering what's gone wrong. Does God love me? Does he care for me? Peter said, of course. Suffering comes to believers and unbelievers alike. God has many different purposes. Look again at verse 20, verse 12. Later on in verse 12. Uh, Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Do you hear what Peter says? He says, if you're enduring pain right now, if you're enduring suffering right now, don't think that's a strange thing. Don't think that something's gone wrong necessarily. As Christ died and rose again, we too must die. We too must endure suffering that we might rise in the end. Jesus did it first so that we could be saved, but we in our feeble, imitatory way must follow in his steps. Shouldn't consider, we shouldn't consider it a strange thing when we suffer. And it will be painful now, but it won't be forever. And let me just close the story I read, which encouraged me. It was about a Christian woman who was renowned for always being bright and cheerful and optimistic, even though she was confined to her small room because of illness. Uh, she lived in the attic of an apartment on the fifth floor of an old, run-down building. Uh, and one day a friend decided to visit her and brought along another woman to come as well, a person who had great wealth and prosperity. Uh, but since there was no lift, uh, the two ladies began a long climb up the stairs of this uh, apartment block. And when they reached the second floor, the well-to-do woman said, what a dark and filthy place. But her friend replied, it's better higher up. When they arrived at the third landing, the remark was made, things look even worse here. Again, the reply came, it's better higher up. The two women finally reached the attic level where they found the uh, bed woman, bedridden believer. And there was a smile on her face that radiated joy that filled her heart. 
And although the room was clean and flowers were on the windowsill, the wealthy visitor could not get over the stark, bare surroundings in which this woman lived. And she blurted out, it must be very difficult for you to live here like this. But without a moment's hesitation, the shut-in responded, it's better higher up. See the point? She wasn't looking at her earthly experiences. They may be good, they may be bad. They're always going to be mingled with some sort of pain, perhaps great pain. She was looking higher up. She said it's better there. And that is really the true secret to contentment. That is the secret to true happiness. Not living for this world, but living for Christ and looking higher up. And that's the knowledge that Peter says we need to arm ourselves with as we endure self-denial, as we endure persecution, and as we endure death itself. And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen as our final hymn, number 700. And 66. Uh, 766. A hymn which we often sing, but I thought it was very apt for the subject this morning. 766. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So let's stand to sing to close number 766. <laughs>